Welcome to HSBC Global Viewpoint, the podcast series that brings together business leaders and industry experts to explore the latest global insights, trends, and opportunities. Make sure you're subscribed to stay up to date with new episodes. Thanks for listening, and now on to today's show. Thank you for joining us for the panel, where we will be discussing the emergence of the tokenized economy. We will be talking about its implications on the financial services industry in Minat and across the globe. The panelists will be sharing their views and their experiences with regards to the pace of adoption and progress on that front. They will also shed some light on the challenges facing the journey uh, towards full tokenization of assets. My name is Noura Latami. I'm the head of security services for HSBC in Singapore. And let me introduce the panel, starting with uh, Michael Demese, head of digital asset unit and advanced solutions from BNY Mellon, Zhu Kuang Li, known as ZK in HSBC, chief digital data and innovation officer for security services, HSBC. And last but not the least, David Reed, director global distribution strategy and innovation at Invesco. So then let's start with the first question. So tokenized economy, what's the hype all about? And how do you see this changing the industry and the ecosystem that we have today? Thank you, Noor. Yeah, I think um, if we think about some of the key themes that have really been prevalent in our industry in the over the last few years, so we've seen a significant uptick in interest in alternative investments. Um, I think we've certainly seen a move to passive investments and increased demand for customized solutions. I think, you know, we're certainly seeing that as a firm, and I think that's probably universally the case. And if we then think about some of the capabilities that tokenization, and by definition, tokenization is is this capability that enabled by the by blockchain or distributed ledger technology. We have this whole um, ability to provide this uh, distributed network where participants in the network are immediately able to access the information that's on it. So there's significant reduction in process times, if you will. We see significant opportunities for automation. And um, if we think about the alternative and real asset space, um, historically, that hasn't always been the most efficient in terms of its operations. So the ability through the, the implementation of smart contract in this tokenized environment to offer significant increases in things like KYC and AML in terms of eligibility when we're you know, looking at cross-border and so forth, I think you know, there's some significant advantages there. The whole concept of um, fractionalization, you know, we're thinking often in the real asset space around things like real estate and so forth. And the ability to, you know, fractionalize that down means there's a whole ability to, to access potentially new client segments and new client distribution channels that historically have not either been economically viable or, or from a regulatory standpoint accessible. And finally, I think. We're seeing a lot of activity in the whole tokenized cash discussion at the moment. So not just some of the party cash solutions that are being tokenized and offered on the blockchain, but most of the central banks globally are looking at central bank digital currencies and so forth. And as that tokenized cash becomes a reality, the impact on settlement times for some of these vehicles, then we, you know, we almost, we start moving to a world that looks very much like atomic settlement. So. Those things kind of combined, what does that enable to us as an asset manager and to the wider ecosystem? As I've kind of already outlined, I think there's an opportunity for us to now start offering 
products that historically we couldn't offer to new client segments. And by that, you know, moving some of these alternative and real assets further down, if you will, the distribution channel. So we move closer to retail in some instances. I mean, many people will have heard and thought about the hype delivered by NFTs, non-fungible tokens. And, you know, there's absolutely the use case around digital art and, and, and all these other things. But I think in its wider context, NFTs offer us the ability to start generating a real level of customization that we're not able to offer in products today. So imagine, for example, we're tokenizing an apartment block and we're able to offer non-fungible tokens that reflect the characteristics to the individual apartment. So, for example, one with an ocean view or, or a mountain view would command a higher premium than one that has a slightly less salubrious outlook. That's just very difficult and very expensive to really manifest itself in today's world, but something that I think is absolutely enabled through the use of tokenization. What, what's the role then for intermediaries and participants in that particular network? Um, undoubtedly, there's going to be some disruption. Some functions that we know today will be uh, transformed or will even disappear. I do, however, think there is, you know, the role of a trusted financial fiduciary is ubiquitous, and it's something that transcends where we are today, right the way into the tokenization world, you know, I don't think we're, we're moving to a world of fully decentralized finance where nobody really knows who's on the other end of a transaction. People value that trust in that organization and, you know, the loyalty and so forth that that brings. So undoubtedly, there's a role for organizations to continue to deliver that. Equally, I think, you know, the actual participants in the network will be able to focus maybe less on some of the processing activities that they undertake today, because some of those are, are automated through DLT. But then we start looking at how we focus on delivering real value and, and custom solutions, as I've already outlined, to our clients. So huge opportunities, not necessarily in some of the areas that perhaps people operate in today. Thank you, David. Very, very insightful. Zike, would you like to add to some of that? Yeah, so I totally agree with that. Basically, let's take a step back, right? So what exactly is a token economy? Token economy, in my view, right, it simply it is a digital analogy to the interaction of different parties in the real world through tokens that is governed by a framework of uh, rules and consensus and secured by cryptography. Okay, so that is the token economy that we are talking about. And why do we think that now is, is really the time to talk about token economy, right? It's because we are already seeing very, very strong evidence of the growing demand for tokenized asset. So, for example, recently I read a World Economy Forum report that is saying that the size of the traditional market that could potentially benefit from tokenization is around $867 trillion. That is covering equity, debt, derivative, and etc. etc. And if you look at the NFT market size, right, it is actually roughly around $41 billion and is growing exponentially as well as the DeFi market size of between 5 to $7 billion as well, right? So from that perspective, right, actually, our thinking is that tokenization and DLT would actually reshape the financial market by creating completely new asset classes. And we will be able to look at new product innovation and also to bring about customized solutions to not just large financial institutions, but also to everyday investors as well. Because tokenization is basically set to revolutionize traditional asset like stocks and bonds, right? And create new asset class like NFT, but it also results in a greater variety of assets that investors are able to invest in. And at the same time, a greater pool of investors for each asset class as well. 
And we are also seeing greater liquidity for illiquid assets. So basically, the benefit of all this that is brought about by the total economy right, is about scalability, is about composability. So let me give you some examples. Right? So I've seen a use case where it is actually a new layered type of tokenized product. So it is actually something like a net zero tokenized gold product where it is structured in such a way that each ounce of gold, right? once you purchase it, you are actually buying sufficient carbon credit tokens as well to offset the carbon footprint of the gold. So this actually provides the investor a sustainable way to invest in commodities and facilitate the transition to a net zero type of economy as well. And the other value of token economy is actually on the transparency part of things. We all know that every transaction is recorded on the blockchain side of things. And from the in terms of the token aspect, right? A security token offering is essentially the digital representation of ownership of the asset. And if we look at the AML of things, every transaction is recorded on the blockchain. But of course, not the KYC side of things. It's because the KYC side of things are still our responsibility to make sure that the people that are trading the crypto asset, they have undertrue a process of due diligence, etc., etc. And last but not least, right? Um, when we look at the benefit of the token economy, we are talking about efficiency and speed. We are talking about automation. We are talking about smart contract that can significantly remove the manual processes and the cost. So um, totally agree with David as well, especially on the intermediaries part where there will still be intermediary that look at different, to service different aspects of the token economy, like digital asset custody, things like tokenization platform and blockchain solutions, and even connectivity type of services to connect investors to the DeFi world for you farming, for lending, for stacking, etc. etc. So these are the new form of businesses that has evolved over the past few years. Thank you, ZK. So if I think about the answers coming from both of you on the why, what I take away is access to a new investor base, tapping into wealth that wasn't accessible before. I think, David, you mentioned there will be uh, new products coming up, uh, new asset classes. Uh, we become more efficient and what have you, which, which kind of brings me to ask Mike. Uh, in your kind of capacity at the moment, and you're looking at solutions, how are you preparing yourself for that tokenized economy? And how do you see the product offerings evolving to cope with those changes? Thank you, Noor. David and ZK, you know, touched on it. And, you know, we share a lot of those, you know, sentiments expressed in terms of the importance of uh, tokenization. We, you know, I've been on that and we see it as a transformative power, right? Like, I mean, because the tokenized assets going to be an important segment of, you know, digital assets with lots of potential and was discussed, you know, whether that is accelerating, you know, like the mobility of assets in a frictionless, you know, transparent and lower cost manner, uh, the increased liquid liquidity that you talked about in terms of, you know, uh, for instance, you know, by fractionalization and uh, allowing it, you know, lowering the barrier and uh, making it accessible to different investor base and actually enabling new utility for assets, right? Like, I mean, for instance, I mean, being able to use them as a payment token, the programmability of uh, these assets in terms of, you know, like, I mean, how you can actually embed compliance and other characteristics on the token itself. Uh, And also we need to remember that, you know, tokenization is going to allow collaboration in a way, in a different way that we've experienced it before. Now you've got people from, uh, various parts of the world actually working on innovative solutions and you know sharing on the upside connecting content creators and consumers uh, so you've got all these potentials 
you see that space, you know, accelerating, it's going to be an important part of the financial markets. So, you know, with those benefits in hand, when you look at the type of assets, I mean, that would be, you know, these characteristics would be appealing, as David talked about, for instance, starting with cash, cash, securities, real assets, even uh, assets like, you know, carbon credits and other things, I mean, can all benefit from these characteristics. And when you look at it from the service side of things, you know, from the custody of assets to issuance of tokens, you know, being able to facilitate actually the safe transfer of these assets, how you're going to exchange and trade, how you can use them for collateral and lending. You can see all the different, you know, array of services, I mean, that are needed. And clients need, you know, intermediaries because they want to operate in a safe, you know, secure, compliant manner with a partner that they can trust. Uh, some of these services, uh, you know, can be fully automated. It's not necessarily, you know, like I mean, the way they are done today, but it's still the, you know, a partner that has the resources, the expertise is going to be an important part of that picture. So that's what we're doing at BNY Mellon as well in terms of building out these capabilities uh, that actually allow us one to extend the core services that we offer today to this new emerging asset class, and two play the new roles that would emerge in terms of, you know, being able to, whether it's, you know, to issue the tokens or, you know, uh, provide these services in automated fashion. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Okay, so speaking about that acceleration that you just mentioned, and according to the latest statistics, tokenized assets only contribute 1% of the total assets that exist in the world today. So I think hearing the three of you speak about the benefits, it all makes sense. We should all be running towards accelerating the tokenization journey. Lots of innovative products coming up. Financial inclusion goals are being achieved as well. Green and sustainable products. I was wondering, when do you think uh, tokenized assets will become the majority of the assets that are traded in capital markets? Starting with ZK, no pressure. From my perspective, I I would think it's between three to five years. Okay, it's because there's still a lot of issues that we need to solve uh, for tokenized assets. So a lot of volume that you see right now, right, are actually based on speculations that um, to buy against uh, all the cryptocurrency or the NFT, which is the latest trend right now. So in terms of tokenized asset, not really, okay? And I think the reason is because a few factors, right? The first one, of course, is interoperability. So every tokenized platform actually... You, users their own smart contracts. So that may lead to different types of token that's being created. And all these tokens are actually, it's very difficult for them to swap against each other given that they're on different blockchain. And their standards are different as well. Okay, so that is one of the main uh, main issue. The rest would be things like the legal protection of crypto asset, um, where although investor may be listed on the smart contract on the ownership of the digital asset, right? But we don't have a foolproof type of legal system to um, the legal clarity to look at all the conflicting laws that is around the world. Okay, and in the current traditional financial system, there are still a lot of paper-based type of processes, and this actually is an obstacle to the adoption of tokenized securities as well. And of course, um, last but not least, right, it's, it is about the accounting standards and the tax. That uh got, that is associated with all these kind of tokenized asset type of trading, as well as the valuation of the tokenized asset. So, for example, if a uh, asset backed token should it be valued differently from the underlying asset? 
and how do we account for the arbitrage opportunity and things like that. So these are the things that we have not sorted out yet. And we will need more collaboration with the regulators to bring together a framework of uh, rules and governance to ensure that we can push this to the retail investor, etc. Thank you, ZK. David, what's your view on the timeline? Yeah, um, I'm going to go to my favorite quote. So I think it was Bill Gates from Microsoft that said, in terms of innovation generally, we we generally overestimate what will happen in, and I can't remember if it was one or two years, let's say two for the sake of arguing, and we dramatically underestimate what will happen in 10. And I think that's my kind of get out clause for saying I kind of agree with ZK. I think it's probably in the three to five years if I'm pushed. Um, I think there are a number of reasons that kind of lead to that. I absolutely agree with the interoperability thing. I mean, we're actively looking at this space within Invesco at the moment, and we're talking to providers of you know tokenization platform providers and others, and they're working on different blockchains. So if you work on one particular flavor of blockchain, how do you then work with the other ones? So that's something that will be solved, but I think there's still some way for that to happen. So we get this kind of more ubiquitous kind of distribution model. And I think this whole area, you know, we, we talk a lot about smart contracts bringing huge advantages and automation and so forth to the space. And I'm going to go out on a limb. I don't believe that blockchains themselves have been hacked, but we've seen many examples where the smart contract vulnerabilities are, you know, smart contracts are fundamentally a program that exists in, on a blockchain. And we've seen, you know, significant, well, a fair number of examples where it's a smart contract, where, where a vulnerability has been exploited and um, bad things have happened. So, and I think the ability to kind of audit and be certain, you know, to get to the same level, I guess, of, of, of certainty around the assurance of your smart contracts is a very, very new capability. And I don't think it, it's, it's an expertise that will need to grow and mature for us to be absolutely certain that these infrastructure is going to be what it needs to be. So, and then I think there's the regulatory landscape. You know, if we look globally, um, there's significant nuance in regulatory position across the world. And I think there will be some kind of normalization of that as we move forwards, as, as people better understand this and regulators can become more certain about that. And finally, we're starting to see, I think, really now the, the emergence of this new market infrastructure that's required, but it's kind of emerging in different places at different stages of development in different parts of the world. So as that becomes more mature and we get sort of more of a common framework, then I think that will you know, dramatically then accelerate the kind of move towards tokenization. Thank you, David. Mike, your view on the timeline? Yeah, so we're definitely on our way. I tend to agree, I think, in terms of so you will see pockets of the asset, you know, the, the asset class. I mean, that would have, um, you know, broad adoption. But to look across all assets, it's going to be at least three to five years, if not longer. And you know, it goes back to I think the quote, you know, David just talked about. I think, you know, in my, in my view, when you look at it, it really comes down to four key things. Um, one, you're going to need a better understanding of digital assets across all investors, you know, across the public in general, in terms of the utility they have, the value. And this asset class needs to become less abstract concept, right? Like, I mean, so that's going to be an important one for this. And two, the a robust and accessible infrastructure needs to be available, you know, like, I mean, just, uh, uh, you know, for, for this asset class again. I mean, if it is, very difficult for people in terms of, you know, like, I mean, how they store these assets, how they use it, then it limits in terms of how quickly it can be adapted. And that needs to be provided from 
credible, trusted, you know, service providers that uh, the public would have comfort, uh, you know, to go to. Um, the third is the standards. I mean, I know we talked about it. It's not surprising. It's uh, for an emerging technology. You know, you don't know offhand exactly what that uh, universal standard is going to be. So there's going to be a lot of experimentation until those are, you know, set in place. And of course, regulatory clarity is, you know, super important as well. So all of these things, but I cannot underestimate in terms of the, uh, the knowledge base, the understanding of this asset class itself being important. So for that reason, when we're seeing cryptocurrency and the adoption of that, um, I see actually that plays a long, you know, an important part and demystifying that and getting people comfortable in terms of, you know, like, I mean, these infrastructure and you know, how, how you use it and leads to that familiarity. So then transitioning to a different tokenized form of asset would not be that much of a leap. So for those reasons, I know it's going to take a little bit while, but uh, it's going to be immensely transformative. Okay, that's interesting. So um, two out of three things, three to five is more of the horizon. And then maybe, Mike, you think for the total assets to migrate, it might take more than that. I'd like to share some of my views as well, although maybe as a moderator, I shouldn't, but um, I cannot uh, resist the temptation. I would like to believe that certain asset classes will kind of transform or emerge in less than two years. I think there's a very strong social agenda, whether it is on the financial inclusion side or even the sustainability agenda, uh, the green agenda. I think all of these are new concepts and I believe that they would only exist in that new uh, tokenized form. So we think about carbon credits and I feel that there's a tipping point after which the acceleration will be so so quick. It's like a snowball effect. Uh, if I'm if I want to be like some sort of a betting woman, I would say that that will start before the two years, and then it's a matter of um, kind of how quickly organizations adapt and how much of that knowledge accumulation that they've done in that period to make sure that they're um, they're confident with what uh, those asset classes are and how to operate them. Uh, but also in terms of getting the appetite within their organizations, getting the approvals, which takes a lot of time, especially with the kind of sophisticated regulatory framework that we work in as financial institutions. So I, I'm hopeful that some of that will start happening before two years. Um, so we'll see. Maybe we'll have another discussion in two years' time and see where we are on our uh, predictions. Okay, uh, maybe the last question to the panelists, the competitive landscape. I mean, there's so many new entrants coming in, new players, the fintechs are coming. What do you see? Like, what's going to happen in terms of, do you see further consolidation happening? Um, how do we balance the compete versus collaborate as financial institutions as we kind of progress towards that tokenized economy? Mike, kick us off with this one. Uh, sure thing, Noor. And look, I think you said it in terms of the competitive landscape. You know, for us at BNYML, you know, we don't, for this particular emerging asset class, we don't see the competition being just our traditional competitors, right? Like I mean, other financial service providers. Um, uh, but, you know, for the digital native, the technology companies that are actually seeing uh, how these core capabilities can be extended to new areas as well. So the competition is going to, um, you know, it's going to actually in increase. I mean, this is as people actually come to terms in terms of how, you know, hugely transformative. The same way internet has been, uh, you know, like, I mean, uh, you know, a couple of dec decades back, um, it won't be surprising to see a lot more entrance into the space. Uh, so we recognize that in, in, in our firm. Um, 
That said, we also understand in terms of the advantages that we have. You know, we we play a critical role in you know as a central orchestrator in the financial ecosystem. Uh, so when you look at you know across all our businesses today, we touch in excess of you know twenty percent of the world's you know investable assets. Uh, so that's that's a, that's a massive um, you know access that we have today. Uh, we service you know ninety three of the top one hundred you know investment managers, or you know eighty four of the top one hundred you know U.S. pension and employee benefit plans. So on, you know, so on and so forth. So that existing client base itself, as they're getting into this new asset class, the first thing they're looking for is their trusted service provider to extend the you know the highly resilient service that they've come to expect to this new asset class. So as long as we are ready and uh, you know take that opportunity, um, that's an advantage that we have. Right? Like I mean, because. Uh, clients are looking for an integrated service just because, you know, they're getting exposure to a new asset class. They, you know, um, it doesn't mean they want to go to a different service provider. They want to have the traditional assets, all these different assets, you know, under and then a more cohesive way. Um, two, uh, we should also look beyond not just the initial use cases, but, you know, what clients would be looking for in terms of, you know, what they want to do with these assets. It's not just buying and storing these assets, right? Like, I mean, they want to be using it, let's say, for collateral purposes. They want to use it for, you know, lending and other utilities. So having, you know, the power of the franchise that and expertise across these different, you know, parts of the value chain is, is an advantage. Um, and, and the last part is really, I think, that recognition, you know, not taking that, uh, you know, for granted, our positioning, for, you know, for granted, but really actively working on, how we can extend you know, our services and be ready for this new world um, you know, will help us actually in, in that future. But it's going to be a very competitive space. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. But I want to thank the three of you for insightful views on the tokenized economy. I think uh, listening to the three of you, there is a case for uh, that to, to kind of deliver benefits to the, to the whole ecosystem, whether it is for uh, new investors accessing um, new uh, products, new solutions, um, delivering against the sustainable agenda and the social agenda. Uh, it uh, delivers efficiency, economies of scale and what have you. It's just about how quickly can we accelerate that journey so that we can all benefit uh, from, from that. But thank you so much for your time, for your view. Thank you for joining us at HSBC Global Viewpoint. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. Make sure you're subscribed to stay up to date with new episodes.